Matthew 21. As you know, today is Palm Sunday, the start of Holy Week. Jesus enters the city on a donkey, and seven days later, he exits the tomb. As we look to the reading of God's word, if you would join me in prayer. Almighty and living God, we ask that you would help us today to hear your holy word, that we may truly understand, and Lord, in understanding, we would believe, and in believing, we would follow in all faithfulness and obedience, seeking your honor and your glory in all that we do, and this we ask to Christ our Lord. Amen. Beginning in verse 12, and Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. When the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant and they said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes, have you never read out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise and leaving them. He went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there the word of the Lord. Symbolic acts, we see them all the time. Politicians are always doing symbolic things to gain approval that could be making press announcements on significant dates or places, visiting a community on an important anniversary. Flags, buttons and the like on their jackets, flags in the podium, flags on the cars. And the other side of that, of course, we can also see protesters burn a flag. And this is also a symbolic act. A few years back at the Vatican, the Pope received a delegation from Iraq and was presented with a Quran and he kissed the book. It was a symbolic act. But it symbolized what it did. It depended upon... Your perspective, was it a treacherous and blasphemous act or a kind and gracious gesture? Depending on which way you looked at it. Either way, it was symbolic. When a surrender occurs, we often see a losing general or leader hand over the sword to the victor. World War I ended with the Treaty of Versailles, and it was signed in a rail coach car. During World War II... Hitler ordered that that coach actually be moved back to its original place and the surrender of France in 1940 to Germany was signed in that same rail car. It was a symbolic act. In a wedding, you hear, with this ring I thee wed. That ring is a symbol of what's taking place in the marriage. When Jesus comes into Jerusalem and In his coming, it was highly significant for its intentional symbolism. The fulfillment of Jesus' earthly ministry was wrapped up in this final week. What he did as he entered into the city was a preview of coming attractions. They were great symbolic acts, and they spoke of who he was and what he came to do. And you and I are in need of the wonderful acts of Jesus. We are in need of the one whose acts are irrevocable, and binding for all eternity. We need Jesus as our prophet, our priest, and our king to declare the truth, to purify our sins, and to subdue our rebellious and sinful hearts. And because Jesus alone can do all of that, 
we too are called to worship and declare, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. What we see here before us is these symbolic acts on Palm Sunday. We're going to look at the text slightly before and then slightly after what we read this morning. You have heard us before speak of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. These are not personality traits. Some people speak of them that way, but they're not. They're offices. And Jesus exercised these offices in his ministry. And here we see him in Matthew 21 demonstrating these through symbolic acts. Biblical symbols point to something beyond themselves, even while they participate in the very thing they're pointing to. The sacrament of baptism and the Lord's Supper do this very thing. And three symbolic acts go with three appointments or commissions of Jesus. The first is Jesus riding through the city on a colt, on a donkey. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. Quoting from Zechariah chapter 9, Matthew speaks in, in, verse 20, or in chapter 21. He doesn't have the full text, but from Zechariah, it says, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt. Your king is here. And people cut branches down before him, laid their their garments before this colt. And we symbolically use palms to celebrate that today. All the parents are, thank you for helping my child today. You're welcome. Beautiful symbol. And it tells us the crowds went before him. And they followed him shouting, Hosanna, which means save, God save us, a a declaration of of to save. It's also a voice of praise. Hosanna to the son of David, to David the king, the lineage of David before us in King Jesus. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And so Jesus symbolically enters as king. It was not an accident. It was deliberate on his part. And he comes on a donkey Not on a war horse. He's not a warrior to conquer. He's a humble and peaceable king. Next, we see Jesus as a priest when he comes into the temple. The book of Hebrews makes a wonderful demonstration of this, the the role of Jesus as our new high priest. That in him, the fulfillment of all the law has occurred, that he is the final and complete sacrifice. But Jesus as priest, what does he do? Verse 12 Jesus entered the temple and he drove out all who sold and bought in the temple and he overturned the tables of the money changers, the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, and he brings two prophetic texts together from Isaiah 56 and Jeremiah 7. My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. There was an expectation that the Messiah would come and set things right. The temple was the religious center for all of the Jews. And there were many who were unhappy with the current state of affairs, unhappy with that high priestly family. And religiously speaking, they were hoping for reform. The word here used, den of robbers, is one that speaks to violence. It's not a stealthy cat burglar type of thief, but one who commits armed robbery. And Jesus is saying that what is taking place there is a a violent act of robbery. When he clears out the temple, 
he was removing the commercial stalls in, in the outer court area. And we refer to that as the court of the Gentiles. That's a word we use. That wasn't one that they did back then. But it was the only court, though, that they would have been able to come to worship on the Temple Mount. It would have been mostly filled with Jews at the festival. There weren't a lot of Gentile converts. But it was the only place then a non-Jew could worship the Lord. And the money changers were a necessary part of exchanging from the Greek and Roman coinage, which had pagan symbols on them, to what was referred to as the Tyrian shekel. It was an approved shekel for commerce in the temple. And it seems, according to some scholars, around 30 AD, just the time of Christ's ministry, that a change occurred where this type of commerce was moved, was on the outside of the temple precinct to the inside of the temple precinct. So there was a change that was happening, and what it would do is it would disrupt worship for non-Jews. We often call this the, the cleansing of the temple. I think one scholar has it right when he says that Jesus did not so much as cleanse the temple as to show that the end of the temple was at hand, that it would be destroyed, that the new and perfect would rise. So not so much as purifying, but more of a symbolic act of judgment. And the great high priest comes to judge the state of the temple affairs. Worship is being excluded by way of commercial convenience for some. The third symbolic act was as a prophet. And this is what the people primarily saw Jesus as. In verse 10 of 21, when he entered into Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up. And they said, who is this? It says the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And then in verse 18, we read in the morning as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. So he had left and come back and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it, but only leaves. And Jesus said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now, Jesus is not anti-tree. He's not acting peevishly in some strange way. This is a symbolic act of judgment upon Israel. This is where, again, knowing the old covenant gives us the context for the new. Several Old Testament prophets refer to Israel as a fig tree. In Jeremiah 8, verse 13, When I would gather them, speaking of Israel, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine nor figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. Hosea 9, like grapes in the wilderness, I found Israel. Like the first fruit of the fig tree in its first season, their root is dried up, they shall bear no fruit. Micah 7, there is no cluster to eat, no First ripe fig that my soul desires. Jesus came to seek fruit in the temple. And he did not find any. Like a healthy leafy fig tree with no fruit. It offered promise without fulfillment. One New Testament scholar, he writes, he said, These actions that that Jesus did in all of these were sudden, dramatic, and powerful but soon over. By the time the attention of the troops would have been aroused, Jesus would have done what he intended to do. 
So no great revolt is being started by Jesus' acts, but they are succinct, they're powerful, and they speak. And there's a change that takes place. Jesus is now coming openly. Before, he would always say, you know, don't tell anyone, and even commanding the demons who knew who he was to remain silent. Now Jesus is allowing everyone to speak of who he is. The secret is out. The proclamation of Christ is going into the city, and he is doing it in highly symbolic ways to show that Jesus indeed is their prophet, their priest, and their king. And we see more then of what Jesus came to do, but it also tells us what kind of a savior he is. And we see this in the wonderful things that he does. In verse 14, we are told the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. Now, that's a very unique way to word that. Matthew could have said a lot of things. He could have said, like he does in other places, the sick or those needing healing came. He chose those words, the blind and the lame. A devout Jew would have understood the reference. Two things would have come to mind. First, 2 Samuel 5, David and his men are are fighting against the Jebusites. They were the original inhabitants of Jerusalem. And the the king and his men went to Jerusalem to fight against the Jebusites. And the Jebusites, they said of David, you will not come in here, but the blind and the lame will ward you off. Thinking David can't get in here. So it was a taunt. And then we read in the text, nevertheless, David took the stronghold of Zion, that is the city of David, Jerusalem. And David said on that day, whoever would strike the Jebusites, let them go up through the water shaft, attack the lame and the blind who are hated by David's soul. Therefore, it is said, the blind and the lame shall not come into the house. Matthew locks this connection even tighter when he records what the children are saying, Hosanna to the son of David, to the son of David. And the other text that would have come to mind was Leviticus 21, speaking to Aaron uh, about the priesthood. The Lord said, None of your offspring throughout their generation who has a blemish may approach to offer this bread of God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near a man blind or lame. At the time of Jesus, there was a community referred to as the Qumran or or the Essenes, and they were a, a strict group who really wanted entire religious turnover in Judaism. They, they thought that everything had just gone to hell in a handbasket and they wanted it to be renewed. They also banned the lame and the blind from their community. The people of Jesus' time would have understood this. You see, the entire sacrificial system highlighted the absolute holiness, the purity of God. The need for sinful people to be atoned through sacrifice. And what do they sacrifice? A spotless, blemish-free offering. Who offered it up? Levites who were without defect. And Jesus comes and we see a divine reversal taking place. Emmanuel, God with us, comes into the temple as the perfect and final sacrifice for sins. What is the sign of his coming? The wonderful things that he's doing. Jesus is teaching the truth because he is the truth. He's giving life. He's healing people because he is the life. 
Jesus quotes from Isaiah 56 about the house of prayer, and this is the fuller context. The prophet says, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, that the Lord will surely exclude me from his people. Let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. No, foreigners who bind themselves to the Lord, these I will bring to my holy mountain, and I will give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the nations. That's the statement that Jesus is making. You're excluding those whom God has included in the messianic fulfillment of the ages. That he has come as that fulfillment. And one writer put it this way, he said, Jesus expelled those whom the authorities permitted and permitted those whom the authorities expelled. What was the response of the religious? They were indignant. When the chief priests and the scribes saw, what did they see? The wonderful things that he did. And the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. And they said, do you hear what these are saying? Meaning, Jesus, make them stop. The messianic thing they're saying. And Jesus said, yes, have you never read? And he quotes Psalm 8. Out of the mouths of infants and nursing babes, you have prepared praise. And then he left outside the city back to Bethany. To see with your own eyes, blind people receiving sight, lame people walking. How could you not be thrilled and amazed? That wasn't an everyday occurrence anywhere. And Jerusalem certainly didn't see that. Jesus, most of his ministry was was not in the city. It was in Galilee and other regions. It wasn't something they would have seen. Certainly heard of. But how can you see that and be indignant? They were looking at the symbols all wrong. I'm sure you've seen those pictures at the end of World War II. People celebrating, dancing, burning a Nazi flag. I'm sure you've also seen in our own country a a protest happening from time to time where someone is burning an American flag. Both are symbolic acts to be sure. The people saw Jesus act one way and the religious leaders saw them another. How could you see the same thing and see something different? Because you saw the symbol differently. The temple was the religious center for all of Israel. It was the political center as well. One commentator put it this way. The house built on sand would fall with a great crash. Only that built on the rock of Jesus' kingdom announcement would stand. See, Jewish nationalism had nothing to do with the kingdom of God. And they had to choose. Are you going to follow Jesus or your own nationalistic pursuits? And we know what they chose. That's why they were indignant. Christ is the absolute foundation. 
that every tribe, tongue, and nation would come and be built on that. You and I must resist and reject every attempt when people take the symbols of Christ and they use them for their own nationalistic exploitation and build their kingdom. The only kingdom that you and I build is the kingdom of Christ. That is the foundation on which all the nations are built. Jesus rejected any attempt by religious political leaders to use those symbols which he represented for something other than a purpose for the kingdom. He was a prophet, priest, and king. And throughout history, people are always trying to take the symbols of Christ, not to promote Jesus, but to promote their own agendas, their own aspirations, their own political power. And it will not stand up in the kingdom of God. Because all of those speak of Jesus. We hear Jesus say in John chapter 2, destroy this temple and I will raise it up again in three days. He's speaking of his body. It's one of the the charges against him by the religious leaders. He said he would destroy the temple, put him to death. He was speaking about the true temple. If you've been in Sunday school, you've heard this quote, but it comes from Ed Clowney. It's not so much that Christ fulfills what the temple means. Rather, Christ is the meaning for which the temple existed. It's not so much that Christ fulfills what the temple means. Rather, Christ is the meaning for which the temple existed. He came to do wonderful things. He came to set us free from sin and death. And if you do not see your need of forgiveness, of His cleansing, you will hate Him for showing you your sin. A hard heart refuses to see, refuses to hear, even when the truth is undeniably hitting them in the face. When you call good evil, evil good, you are in a very dangerous place. What is hope for another will mean judgment for you. The God of all creation, He enters into His creation as one of us to redeem us, to purify us, to set us all free. To be what he has made us to be in him. He alone can cause fruit to come onto barren branches. He alone can save from destruction in this life and the life to come. These great acts of Christ, they require a response. With the children, we declare, Hosanna, save us. Recognizing that every tribe, tongue, and nation... That's the inheritance of Christ. We are a part of His inheritance. He has come to conquer and subdue our sinful hearts. To restore His good creation. And and we here are the fruit of that. And through the ages we've seen that the Lord Jesus brings fruit where it was never expected before. Because He alone can do that. And that recall to us then is a call to both believe and to proclaim. 
that we have been set free by him. And we go and proclaim that. We proclaim the foundation stone of Jesus. Resisting any attempt for kingdom building that doesn't belong first and foremost with Jesus. Resisting any attempt to misapply and missee the symbols of our faith that point to anything other than Christ. And going forth then into the world around us to, to live this out because of what He has done. Empowered by Him to be proclaimers of the kingdom, of the good news. This is what good news is. If the blind and the lame are being healed and you don't see that as good news, there is trouble in your soul. The blind and the lame have been healed. We are here because of the wonderful things Christ has done. That should move us to worship. Pray with me. Father, indeed, we are so grateful that you have set us free. Father, you alone could come into this twisted and perverse world that we have made. Father, in our own sin and rebellion, you alone can come and into the sin and misery and bring life and wholeness and joy and hope. We bless you for that. We thank you for the mercy and the grace that we have received through your Son. And Father, we pray that, that Jesus would continue to be glorified in our lives in, in this place, in this church, this valley, with the brothers and sisters who we are joined together with. Father, that he would receive the reward of his suffering. Lord, let your kingdom come. And may it come soon in its fullness. And we pray and ask this to Christ, our risen King.